bow our heads. Uh, Lord God, give us grace today to hear the teaching of your word with ears to hear, a willingness to believe, a heart to obey. Give those who hear discernment to weigh everything against the plumb line of your word and the grace and the humility and the spiritual receptivity to hold on to what is good. And, and give us insight into ourselves to know where we must change to continue to grow in obedience and in conformity to the character of Christ, our Savior, and our Master. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I have something occurred to me this morning. I have, I'm a little afraid uh, that uh, because of these last few sermons that I've that I've offered up, that somebody is going to put on the you asked for it form. You know what would you like to hear? And I I'm, I'm afraid that somebody's going to write on there something else, something else. Because I've been, uh, the last couple of weeks, I have kind of preached on the same topic, and I've used some of the same verses, and, and, and in my mind, if you were looking at it as closely as I would, you'd see there's progress. I'm pushing the envelope, but I have been guilty of uh, telling you what I'm going to tell you, and then telling you, and then telling you what I told you before. And, but this is, it's important. It's important. And... And it's, uh, it's really something that has, that has confused me uh, for a, really for a quite a long time in a practice of the Christian life and in, and in uh, speaking and interacting with other believers who kind of do things a little bit different or speak a little different. And so, and so my apologies, but if you hear some of the same, you know, maybe even the same verses, the same you know, the same things, uh, keep in mind that we are pressing forward. We are going to get beyond it. You can request it on the, on the you ask for it forms. You know, you can the direction to go from here. But, um, but we, are, we are going forward, and it is, and it is important uh, to my mind about really uh, figuring, figuring something out that, that has uh, confused a lot of people for many, many years. Uh, and really what I'm talking about, the topic, the general topic I'm talking about is the guidance of the Holy Spirit and, it's, and how that interfaces with wisdom, how that interfaces, you know, what, you know, how does it work? How does a Christian life work in terms of, of guidance and wisdom? Now, I've tried to make the case that the Holy Spirit, now you've heard this sentence before, the Holy Spirit can communicate in both verbal and nonverbal ways to anyone at any time. And, I've, and, and I think that's an important distinction to make. Now, I don't know, if, I don't, I, I'm not telling you that I've read in books that that distinction is made, but that distinction seems very important to me, this, this distinction between verbal and nonverbal communication by the Holy Spirit. And what I'm characterizing as verbal communication is when the Holy Spirit literally, literally speaks in words that can be quoted. In other words, not an impression. A not, and, and I'm talking about what this Holy Spirit can do and what, he, what we see Him do in the Scriptures. Uh, that there's this, not an impression, not a prompting, not a prompting, not a, a feeling or a sense of the Spirit's leading, but no, something more than that. The Holy Spirit said, said. You know, there, this distinction, you know, what, what if you told one of your children, you go clean your room, go clean your room. And what if he or she said, said I, you know, I'm, I'm sort of getting the feeling here that you want me to clean my room. Well, that's what I said. Of course, you're grounded for the next two weeks. No car, no phone for the next two weeks. You know, I'm getting an impression here that uh, you're displeased with me. No, No, we're talking not an impression, not a sense. 
And not any of those kind of words. We read in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit said something, and then the Bible quotes the words that were said. I am just simply saying that when that happens, when, it, when we see that in the Scripture, that we can simply believe the Bible in the, most, in the plainest sense of the language. Acts 8.29, you've heard it before, we're not, but it's not the same sermon, I promise. The Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. The Spirit said to Philip. The, Acts 10, while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And I'm calling these cases of verbal, this is my terminology, but I'm calling that verbal communication. And whether these people, Peter, you know, there are others, of course, you know, Peter, Philip, whether they heard this with their ears, you know, like it was audible or something, or just something, you know, in their minds that nobody could have heard, you know, it's not audible, but it's something in their minds, but it's, it's actual words were spoken by the Holy Spirit that, were, that could be quoted. And in, what I'm saying is that in these and in other cases like them, you know, this, these are not just two cases where something like this happens. There's lots of them in the Scripture. Philip, for example, would not have given us an accurate idea of how the Holy Spirit spoke to him if he had said, Philip, he said, you know, I don't know. I, I, I just had a feeling that God wanted me to approach this particular chariot where this guy sitting reading there reading the scripture. I, I just felt like, no, he couldn't have described it that way because the Holy Spirit said to him, what do you mean? You know, I just had an idea. No, you didn't just have an idea. You didn't have an impression. You didn't have a prompting. The Holy Spirit said, go over there and join that chariot. Peter would not, same way, he would not have given an accurate report if he had said, you know, I just felt led somehow to go downstairs and, you know, I don't know, I just, I felt like I should go downstairs and I went downstairs and these, through, these guys are looking for me. They said, they, downstairs in my house, there are people there said they'd been sent by God to look for me. No, it was more than that. The Spirit said to Peter, go downstairs and go with those men without hesitation now, nor does the plain language of the scriptures in these and other cases like them invite us to imagine that they had this unspoken inner sense of being led by the Holy Spirit to do this or that and then they or the Bible later characterize that as the Holy Spirit said as some Christians do sometimes sometimes and I'm convinced after being active in the body you know the larger body of Christ for some years 1974 is my starting point that some Christians will have an, an inner sense an unspoken sense of the Holy Spirit's leading that they might, prop, might call a prompting or an impression or a sense or a feeling of being led to say this or that or to do this or that. And they will say, talking about that, the Holy Spirit said, God told me. And they feel justified in that because it was the Holy Spirit behind it all. And perhaps, they might think that's what the Bible means or could mean when it tells us the Holy Spirit said to Philip, the Spirit said to Peter. But I'm saying that's not what happened in Peter. In, the, in these cases where we can simply believe the Bible, the Holy Spirit said to Peter, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, etc. The Holy Spirit said to the worshiping church at Antioch. And to characterize it in, you know, to have this an impression, a prompting, a leading, a sense of being led uh, and then saying, well, the Holy Spirit said to me, the Holy Spirit told me, it tends to confuse those Christians who wouldn't speak that way unless they meant to say that the Holy Spirit spoke to them. 
in words. And it can make the it can make those Christians wonder, you know, what what am I missing? What am I missing? Am I kind of a second class? Am I like Christian second class? You know, or we, or the, the, me and my friends, or others that think and talk like I do? Are we just kind of second class Christians, and we, we're just missing out on the really good stuff of the Christian life? This is one of the reasons I think it's important because some Christians go through life like that. They talk to other Christians who say the Holy Spirit said, and you know, it's all like. I don't get I don't get any of that. Why don't I get that? Or some some of those Christians, they don't they're not going to go through life like that. Feeling second class. They say, "No, there's nothing wrong with me. There's something wrong with them." They're nuts. Or they are uh, you know, deluded or self-deluded or they're overly emotional or or something you know it's not it, it's nothing wrong with it. and some will go so far as they yeah they're getting messages all right they get from the devil <laughs> and then some other christians just kind of learn a, a christianese lingo and they catch on that it's acceptable and it's even spiritual or maybe even proper to describe our sense of the Spirit's guidance, our sense of His leading with language that is really more interpretive than descriptive. If you know what I mean. So it's okay to say, you know, when you have a sense that the Spirit leads or the, you feel like God wants you to do this or say that, to later say, well, the Spirit told me. The Holy Spirit said, with a little bit of spin toward the more dramatic, toward the more impressive, and toward the more clear. And this is this is why I've promised this church, and I've said this too, that if I ever stand up here and tell you the Holy Spirit told me to tell you, you can believe that I think that's exactly what happened. Words. Words I've promised not to describe the nonverbal leadings, promptings of the Holy Spirit with language. It gives you the impression that it was something more along the lines of what Peter experienced in the episode we used in the, and where Philip, the Spirit said, go up and join that chariot. Because it's important. And really... If you've been around a while, it's important for the unity of the body of Christ, and it is important for the in, the edification of individual believers, especially those who feel like second-class citizens, because they don't feel the liberty to speak that way about experiences that they all hold in common. By the way, the biblical cases of the Holy Spirit speaking could not be clear. When Dr. Luke, writing the gospel according to Luke, says Jesus said, words came out of Jesus' mouth and were spoken, they could be quoted. And when the same author, Dr. Luke, in Acts says that the Holy Spirit said, uh, we, can, we can understand it in this very same way. Now, it's also important to understand that the Holy Spirit also has ways of communicating non-verbally, what I'm calling non-verbal, which, by the way, seems much more common and common in the Bible, more common in the Bible, and more common in the experience of Christians. So that we, he could not exactly be quoted because it didn't come to us in words. Now don't don't think that I'm saying. That that if unless the Holy Spirit says words to you, you know, in your mind or or audible, that that's the only way the Holy Spirit can guide or lead, because that isn't so. There's a way the Holy Spirit communicates to us and to His people in kind of a uh, 
and kind of a spirit to spirit. There's a spirit to spirit quality about it. It seems to come to our minds from our spirits, not to our spirits from our minds. You know, it's we have a we have a very real. And I gave some examples. I just I'll just mention them. Conviction of sin is a universal experience among Christians, but it's we don't experience verbally, at least not usually. God said words to me. No, there's this, uh, the, the, you know, the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is more than a guilty conscience, isn't it? It's more than a guilty conscience. It's spirit-generated. And by the way, the Bible, our Bible tells us, and our Jesus tells us, you don't even have to, you don't even have to have the indwelling Holy Spirit. You don't have to be a believer at all to experience, to have this experience generated by the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So when people, you don't even have to be a, a Christian at all. This sense that comes upon us, it's not us, it's not self-generated guilt, it's something, it's something outside ourselves. This sense that something is wrong with us, something is wrong in us, this, this uh, sense of moral brokenness, this sense of moral culpability, this nagging sense of a coming judgment before a God, your mind might even be telling you you don't even believe in. But there's this, this uh, nagging sense of, of uh, angst about appearing before a a holy and righteous God. I'm calling that the nonverbal communication by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so he, you know, what are you going to do about your sin, your culpability before God? And you know, some it's not a believer who's the Spirit has convicted. Say, He showed you. He revealed to you something of your own, of the weight of your own sin before a holy God. How, how will you say that you didn't know that you needed a Savior? He, he revealed it to you. You knew. And you knew because the Holy Spirit revealed it to you. Among believers, now this isn't the experience of a non-Christian, but among believers, the assurance of sonship is a spirit-generated communication to us in the same way. It's just, just the way Romans puts it. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And we all experience this, but most of us wouldn't say, well, when was, when was the first time God told you, the Spirit told you you were a child of God? Well, you might call it this, you know, We've read it in the scriptures, and that's one thing. But you probably you probably would say, "Well, it didn't really come to me in words. It's it's an assurance. It's a heartfelt, soul level assurance that God is my Father, and I'm His child. My He's approachable to me. He loves me. And this is our often our akin to our sense of the Holy Spirit specific leading." and guiding and that nonverbal kind of leading and guiding is also well illustrated in the scripture you see it in the bible the spirit prevented paul and silas from going to bithynia where they were trying to go whatever the details it had to be nonverbal because because of this it's inconceivable that they would have been told by the Holy Spirit not to go, and they're still trying to go. That doesn't sound like the Apostle Paul. And then Paul has this famous vision of the night, come over to Macedonia and help us. A man in a dream, or a vision of the night, you know, but basically a man in a dream from standing over there on the other side of the water said, come and help us. And... Paul and Silas both concluded that God had called them, right? That God had called them to Macedonia to preach the gospel. It was divine guidance, of course. 
But it wasn't the Holy Spirit said. You know, the Lord speaks in dreams. You know, we see that in the Scripture. But this doesn't... The Lord didn't say, go to Macedonia and preach the gospel. A person in a dream said, come help us. And they concluded that God had called them there. The pillars of the church at Jerusalem sent a letter to the more Gentile-oriented churches that said in part, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and us. I have a hard time imagining the omniscient Holy Spirit saying something like, you know, the Holy Spirit said. I, I just have a hard time thinking of the omniscient Holy Spirit as God himself saying, seemed like a good idea to me. It's worth a try. <laughs> you know? I have a hard time seeing God saying, well, it's worth a try. Let's go for it. All right, or it's a crazy idea, but it just might work. <laughs> it seems far more reasonable to me to see the Jerusalem brothers saying, "This is our best sense of uh, best sense of what is wise, and this is our best sense of the Spirit's guidance, and this is how it most often is with us." I'm not going to say God. It won't say to you, the Holy Spirit won't say to you words. He may well. <laughs> and he's God. No one can say to him, what have you done? But this is the way it is. This, this uh, sense that, that the spirit-to-spirit guidance, I, th- I think I, I, this is what God wants. I would not tell you that the Holy Spirit told me that this place right here would be our church home when we were considering this purchase. But I knew it would be. I knew it. Financial obstacles notwithstanding. Where's the money going to come from? I had no idea. I just knew it was going to happen. And I knew that that sense of confidence did not come from me. I am, I got to tell you, I'm not like that at all. (laughs) That's not like me. That came from the Holy, the indwelling Holy Spirit. But he didn't tell me. But I knew, and I knew it was him. Years before that, I won't tell you this whole story now. You've heard it before. But a young couple in my life, a young couple, young couple with a, he's a student at the university, he was a student at the University of Tennessee in a graduate program. They live in married student housing on, uh, near the campus of uh, the University of Tennessee. They had a child. They didn't have much money. They had a sense of the Holy Spirit's will and guidance in giving me a significant amount of money to get started in Bible college to prepare for ministry. It's a lot of money. It's $800, in fact. They did not tell me that the Holy Spirit told them to give me that money to go to Bible college because that's not how it was. But they did tell me that they both, man and wife, had a strong sense that this is what the Lord wanted them to do. And what a lesson. I'll tell you, he went on, he graduated, and he said, you know, $800 is no big deal for him now. Or for them. But boy, what a, what, a, what a lesson for both of us, or all three of us. What a lesson for me in trusting the Lord's provision and not man, not plans, not man. <laughs> and what a lesson for them in walking by faith 
also trusting the Lord's provision. And it's still, it's, it's a long time ago, 1976, I suppose. And it's still one of the high points. It's not the biggest point, not the only thing, but it's still one of the high points. Boy, remember when. Remember when. It was significant in their walk, significant in my walk. It need, we won't forget it. Nonverbal guidance, right? That was the Holy Spirit. That was the Holy Spirit. And that was their sensitivity to being led by the Holy Spirit. Last Sunday, last Sunday here, I learned right before, Robin told me right before, right before the worship service began that, uh, that I would be leading the congregation in prayer. First string guy, couldn't come. <laughs> Had an emergency. So while we're singing, while we are singing, I, I take a few minutes, well, I'm, I'm cheating. I'm not singing, I'm praying. And I'm, I'm asking the Lord to direct my words, to give me something that fit the needs of the people who were here. It wasn't a big thing, but... And what came to mind was our discussion from the adult Sunday school class. We're in Revelation, you know, and what, what, is, what it, does it mean to be an overcomer? And there are a couple of views. One is that an overcomer is a special kind of Christian, and the one that seemed more convincing to me, the overcomer is a Christian. If you're a Christian, you're an overcomer. And that combined with the, uh, well, the, the trials, the season of trial that's, so many in our church have been going through, and myself not excluded. And so I prayed along those lines, and I even spoke a little bit before I prayed. And I hoped it would fit, and I, I hope that it, I hope that it ministered to people. And I would not tell you, just because I promised, <laughs> that the Holy Spirit told me to pray what I prayed. But I, I would tell you that it was my best sense of what fit our church family and my best sense of the Spirit's leading. And I, it, was be, it would be something along the lines of it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and me. <laughs> Acts 15. As it happened, I received a, a couple of notes of encouragement from people in the mail that ran exactly along those lines. One of which, I, 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 I don't know about one of them, but I know that one of them was not sent after the prayer, but before. But it read like it was written in response to what I had said. Robin said, that's the Holy Spirit, I, but I already knew it. <laughs> it is. All of these, so in other words, don't say, unless the Holy Spirit talks, unless the Holy Spirit speaks, he can't leave. That is not so. <laughs> that is not so. The Holy Spirit leads, guides in ways that you might use language like a prompting, a leading, a sense that God wants me to, uh, you know, a, a feeling like this is what the Lord wants. And all of these kinds of specific leading of the Holy Spirit, verbal and nonverbal, and, and like I say, that's my distinction, they function like a GPS on the dashboard of your car giving specific guidance for specific situations. Now, thankfully, the GPS is always verbal, right? 
that he, the GPS isn't just trying to give me an idea of something. You know, it's it's very verbal. Take slip. Mine mine says take slip road. I don't know if yours does. Take slip road on right one mile. I think she's British or something. But that it's specific, right? Uh, turn left on Snyder Road in 200 feet. You know, sometimes if you're trying to go Bithynia and it's the wrong way to go, recalculating, recalculating. <laughs> but it's it's that. But it, but it's very specific, and that kind of leading of the Holy Spirit is a real thing. God, the Holy Spirit will lead God verbal and nonverbal ways of the right way. What's what does God want you to do? It's useful. It's tremendous. It's faith affirming. It's relational. Except. The Holy Spirit, now here's where the, the image breaks down. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a program machine. And the Holy Spirit in his guiding, leading function like a GPS has not obligated himself to speak specifically to every situation in your life and every decision you have to make. Have you, have you ever been dependent on, a G, on the GPS and you, and you go into a big city? With you know you're downtown and the big buildings and everything and the uh, and the you know and it's hectic and you want to know how to get to where you're going and the holy and it clams up you know the <laughs> GPS clams up you look at it, it says acquiring satellites I don't, I don't want to hear that I want to hear which way to go which road to turn on now it's never the case that the Holy Spirit can't see you. Like the, G, like the satellites can't see you that talk to your GPS. But it is the case that he doesn't have something to say about every single decision that you are faced with. And the frustration of that is very similar to the unresponsive GPS sometimes for Christians. Very common, very common uh, question, very common frustration among Christians. Why won't the Holy Spirit tell me what to do? Why won't he, or just tell me, just take the tail out of it. Why doesn't he show me what to do? Why won't he give me a sense of assurance about what to do? You know what the answer is? Because that's not the whole of how this life of faith works. Or, or they say, they maybe connect the dot, they say, I'm not getting it, I'm not getting it, I'm not receiving it, I'm out, of, you know, I'm, out, I'm being ignored, it seems. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Or, you know, worse yet, what's wrong with God? <laughs> He's... You know, he and he's not getting it done. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with God? You know what the answer is could be? Nothing. Nothing's wrong with God, but it, it could be that no, you're not doing anything wrong. And you know, people that have this kind of complaint, they're absolutely thrown into a tailspin. Sometimes when they are pre presented with more than one good choice. Oh my goodness. Instead of being thankful to God for more than, you know, for this abundance of good options, in, they're thrown into a crisis of faith. Well, I need to, oh no, I've got this great job here and this great job here. We Tell me which one to take. Tell me... Who to marry? Tell me what to do about the kids' education. Tell me where to go to church. On and on and on. He's, and the idea is one of them has got to be the correct one, and all the others, although they might look attractive, they're, they're going to lead to something less than God's best or even a disaster. You know, I've seen people, when they presented a situation like that, choose the one they least wanted to guard against willfulness in a decision they want to avoid and they want the Holy Spirit to make instead? Well, if I'm not going to make the one I know 
the Holy Spirit wants, at least I'll, make the, I'll not choose the one I want. And, you know, they do that, say, well, the blessing of God and being in the center of his will hangs in the balance, and if I get it wrong, it could be terrible personal consequences. Like, you know, I make the wrong ministry decision, I could be beaten with rods three times or stoned and left for dead or shipwrecked three times. I hope a verse is coming to mind. Second <laughs> Corinthians eleven twenty-five. And if it's all full of trouble, you make the wrong choice. You don't. You didn't hear the Spirit. You didn't get the guidance. You do the wrong thing, and and it's all full of trouble. And it all goes wrong. People are going to say you must have missed the Spirit's guidance here, because if you would acknowledge God in all your ways, He would have made your path straight. There wouldn't have been any shipwrecks. There wouldn't have been any beaten with rods. As I do sometimes after the Apostle Paul's example to stress a point, I speak as if insane. (laughs) What if, along with this reality of the Spirit's guidance, which seems to come to us most ways in what I'm calling nonverbal ways, although some take that and characterize it with verbal language, or even straight-out verbal ways. I'm, he may well. He's God. <laughs> but what if God expects you to make many of the thousands of life decisions, great and small, based on your grasp of the moral will of God revealed in the Scriptures, which is seldom in doubt, and based on the godly wisdom that you have acquired and the wisdom of others that they've acquired, and even based on your own desires within the revealed will of God. And you see a lot of that in the Scripture too. Paul thought, we went over this, But as we're advancing the argument here, even though you've heard it, Paul uh, thought the second missionary journey, if we just take the scripture at face value, he thought it'd be a great idea. Barnabas agreed. Hey, I've got an idea. (laughs) That's the flavor of it. No mention of specific guidance by the Holy Spirit as preceded the first missionary journey. I'm sure they saw it as a continuation of that first in general calling on their lives, but they felt perfectly free to make decisions about the details unless and until the Spirit intervened with directions of his own. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark. We talked about that last week. Why did he want to take John Mark? You believe the Bible? He wanted to. He's a relative. Paul, on the other hand, thought it best. That's the word he used. Thought it best. To me, that's his sense of wisdom. He thought it best not to take him because he flaked out the first time. He didn't want that. Modern Christians always want to know there who was right. Who got it right? Who was right and who was wrong? A question, by the way, that does not seem to have occurred to the author, Dr. Luke. (laughs) In the short term, but, you know, if you go down that road, you could argue that Barnabas and John Mark, and I've even seen this, read it, Barnabas and John Mark, they went off to Cyprus and, you know, like never to be heard from again, apparently didn't do anything significant, there's no great church there and all that. You know, they just did. So Paul was right. Barnabas wrong. Paul, new partner Silas. Boy, they just, you know, they just continued to turn the world upside down with the gospel. And it, so he was right. But in the long term, you look a little later, Apostle Paul says, son John Mark, he's become valuable to me. You know, so, so um, John Mark was kind of rescued. <laughs> and, it's, it, and it's almost certainly, it seems, due to Barnabas' determined patience with people like John Mark who need a second chance. 
And it was their application of wisdom, their application of wisdom that led to the solution. In other words, there's nothing in the text that says, Holy Spirit told him, Paul, you get yourself a partner, a new one? His name is Silas? Actually, it says Paul chose Silas. That's what it says. Barnabas, you take John Mark, you go this way. We don't see that. It was, it was their sense of wisdom, what's best. It's on and on like that. Paul skips two cities and goes to Thessalonica. Why? Because there's a synagogue there, and he knows just what to do. If there's a synagogue in the town, go to the synagogue and, and get up there, and you, you, he could get in, and he could speak the gospel. And if you're looking for him, there's a lot of decision-making in the New Testament based on wisdom and will with no mention of specific guidance. First, first to Rome. Paul says, I want, the letter to the Romans, I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. He wants to go to Rome. He's been planning to go to Rome. He's been prevented so far. He attributes that to the, to the will of God, to the sovereign will of the Lord, but he still wants to go. He still intends to go. He's still trying to go. And he asked the Lord to let it happen. He's still looking for openings in his schedule. Near the end of Romans, he brings it up again. 15, Romans 15. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, we don't know if he got to Spain or not. But we do know that he had no problem making plans based on his own sense of what he was to be about, this, this uh, spreading the gospel among the Gentiles, his own sanctified will. I say sanctified because he's not longing for sin or anything. He, just, he wants to be with them. It's a good thing. He wants to be with them. He wants to um, enjoy their company, it says and his own application of wisdom. He had no problems with that. He had no problems with that. And yet we also know that he was completely responsive to the Holy Spirit when, he, when the Spirit intervened with different plans than his own. And it's the specific guidance of the Holy Spirit. If that's like a GPS then the godly wisdom is like a map. They're, they're different things, aren't they? A map is a very valuable thing, especially when the GPS has nothing to say at the moment. <laughs> Haven't you noticed that? You know, you get a GPS, you get dependent on it, and then you, something goes wrong, and, and you, like, you don't even know where you are. <laughs> and you can use a map. Godly wisdom is God's map. But there's, a, there's some differences, aren't there? The map doesn't tell you where to go. There are no instructions on the, you know, that's where you, it, 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 it may, and if, and if you know where you want to go, the map will probably have different ways to get there. Wisdom. It's not the same. Barnabas' wisdom wanted him to go this way. Paul's wisdom wanted him to go that way. Wisdom is an acquired skill in applying scriptural principles, commands, prohibitions. It's, it's, it's the word applied to life. How does it apply? It's a product of maturity. It comes from the repeated practice of obedience to God. And, and even, I have to say, some of the lessons learned through disobedience. Lee Iacocca, a long time ago, he said that the secret of success is making good decisions. And I said, well, how do you make good decisions? He said, bad decisions. He, well, no, we don't have to make the bad decisions first. Because they're, they're kind of identified for us. 
and the good decisions are identified for us, but still, yet, our, the unwise decisions we've made have a way of impressing upon us the need for wisdom and the value of it in the, ne- the next time around, if we're paying attention. And we really, but we really don't have to get wisdom the hard way at all, because the scripture promises to, that it's ours for the asking if we have faith. James, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded, unstable in all his ways. So, Lord, give us this wisdom. But the wisdom is a map. It's not, it's not the GPS. Here's a, here's, a, here's a good illustration of the difference. Proverbs, book of wisdom, 26.4 says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Hear that? Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. The next verse, the next verse says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Well, what am I supposed to do? Answer the fool or not answer the fool? Here's the difference. Wisdom will help you know which situation you're in. Wisdom will help you know when to not get entangled in an argument with a fool lest you just be drawn into a foolish argument. <laughs> Look like two fools arguing. And, and when to say, when to, the, the fool must be confronted. And at least the foolishness of what he's saying needs to be identified. Now here's the difference. If the Holy Spirit tells you, go up to that fool and talk to him, it doesn't matter what kind of fool he is. <laughs> so here's, here's the point. Just a couple minutes left. The point is, don't be a GPS Christian who doesn't use the the godly map of wisdom. (laughs) Or don't be a map Christian who doesn't use the GPS of the Holy Spirit. If you're a GPS Christian who's all about the guidance of the Holy Spirit, all about it, everything, you got to get it from the GPS, (laughs) and neglectful of godly wisdom, you're going to be frustrated in your faith when the Holy Spirit doesn't seem to be directing, directing strongly in any particular way. But, and, but you're going to have those times and those decisions. You may think something's gone wrong with you or with God, but it hasn't. Uh, you may demand that God do every single time what He does sometimes. You may demand that God make decisions, the Holy Spirit make decisions that He's given you to make. And the freedom to make them and the wisdom to make them with. You may be, when you're presented with more than one good option, you may be frozen in indecision when, uh, because you're waiting for a, a word that's not coming. You may worry about Or, you know, here's something else. You may attribute your decisions to him just to kind of keep your theology together. Seems particularly dangerous to me. (laughs) You may worry about having chosen, chosen wrong when wrong was not one of the options. In short, you'll live a life a Christian life that falls short of the freedom and liberty we have in Christ to live and live abundantly. On the other hand, if you're a map Christian who's mistrustful, unbelieving, uninterested in the GPS, you know, in the Holy Spirit-specific guidance, you may well live a life, a Christian life, that is more of a religion than a relationship. 
you you probably will be missing out on the full expression of a of a not the only one but a powerful relational aspect of this life that we've been called into a life in which the sheep hear the shepherd's voice and God may seem you know if you're on this wisdom side I believe in wisdom on that GPS stuff those people give me the willies I don't want to be like them God is going to seem distant and remote but the Bible says the Holy Spirit lives in you not even beside you in you and he can direct he can lead he can guide and it doesn't have to be words a sentence in your head or that comes through your ears that you could quote here's an idea here's an idea be a Christian who has a map called godly wisdom and a GPS called the Holy Spirit <laughs> a map that's growing in detail with every passing year through maturity through being taught through obedience Christians not afraid to use that map to make good decisions in accordance with your sanctified desires and will because you know why because God is good to you he doesn't withhold any good gift And be a Christian who, along with a map of godly wisdom, has a GPS and is willing to consult and yield to it, who knows that there's an indwelling Holy Spirit, who knows all the details of your life, who may well speak, lead, guide, direct at any time for the advancement of God's kingdom and for the strength of your faith. Let's pray. Lord, we, may we fall into neither of these extremes that we do see. Some have them. And may we be unmindful and neglectful of neither the wisdom that is available, ours for the asking, or the leading of the Holy Spirit. May we love and embrace both together. Help each of us to know where we lean more heavily in this, especially if we lean too lightly on one or the other. Give us each greater wisdom than we now have and a greater sensitivity to the leading and guidance of your Spirit who indwells each one who knows you through faith in Jesus. Increase the faith of the believing and let faith begin in the unbelieving but open heart here today. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.